Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of My First Sketch at MyFirstSketch.com. I'm Josh Hyam. You can email me at Josh at MyFirstSketch.com with any questions, thoughts, recommendations you might have. I'll get back to you as soon as I can, as long as it doesn't get to the spam folder, because I do not check the spam folder often. You can like the podcast on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MyFirstSketch. And I'll be honest, it'd be really cool if you rate it five stars and leave a review on whatever platform you get the podcast because it's available everywhere. And I don't even know if most of those apps even do ratings or thumbs ups or whatever, but if they do, do it, please. All right, as I'm speaking, Toronto Sketch Fest has begun and the FOMO in me is strong. If you're listening to this as it releases, live shows begin tonight. There's a live streaming special Tuesday, March 14th that you can watch from wherever you are. And if you're lucky enough to be in Toronto, the shows are at Theatre Centre and Comedy Bar. It's a comedy party. All the details on all the shows, and I hear some of them are even selling out in advance, torontosketchfest.com. Today's guest is Fatima Elhamida Miller, currently a member of Don Valley Girls based in Toronto, Ontario. Don Valley Girls will be performing twice at Toronto Sketchfest. First, as part of the curator program, with Manifest Destiny's Child and Tita Collective, curated by Candace Scott Moore. That show is Friday, March 10th at 8 p.m. at the Theater Center. Then, Friday, March 17th at 6 p.m. with Maple Daddies from Seattle, Washington, also at the Theater Center. Tickets are available at torontosketchfest.com. Fatima's first sketch is called Bro Namel. It's a commercial parody about toothpaste. Fatima and I both play bros, and Fatima also does the announcer voice. All right, so let's go to the sketch. And now for our commercial break. Have you ever just sat in your man cave thinking about the hygiene of your mouth cave? Well, then have we got the shit for you. It's not actually shit because you put it in your mouth. Bro-namel. This one time I went to the dentist and he's like, yo, dude, you got the cavity. And he couldn't even fill it because it was just our bro Kevin who wants to be a veterinarian. But he could recommend a kibble that would be easier on my teeth and bro-namel. Now that I have bro-namel, when I open a beer bottle with my teeth, they don't even chip anymore. Bro-namel gives me that eggshell-colored smile that all the chicks dig. Dudes, once you get bro-namel, you'll never go back to lame-ass Colgate. Oh, yeah, it wasn't until I tried bro-namel that I realized how lame-ass Colgate really is. Bro-namel is a toothpaste that can fit into your lifestyle. Bro-namel even comes in eight, six flavors. Bacon. Cool Ranch. Hawaiian. Cream Puff. Fish Taco. Charcoal. Bubble gum. And classic mint. Get Bronamel and join the Bronamel community today. <laughs> you can't go wrong with hygiene. Strengthen your teeth and your swag at the same time. My teeth are now just as strong as the average household American canines. And so is his personality. <laughs> so get Bronamel today. Hygiene! hygiene. Text the number on the bottom of your screen to receive an eight-month supply of Bronamel. 
Order it right now and you'll get a free ringtone of the 2007 hit Soldier Boy for your Android or smartphone. Are you a fan of sketch comedy like Monty Python, Key and Peele, and Saturday Night Live? Have you ever wondered why their sketches are funny? Or maybe why that certain sketch didn't make you laugh? On the comedy podcast Sketch Nerds, we aim to answer those questions while having fun talking about the history and craft of sketch comedy. Every episode features a guest to help us break down our favorite sketches, as well as those submitted by listeners like you. So come nerd out with us and listen to Sketch Nerds at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds. My name is Samantha Russell. I'm a sketch comedian, and I have a prop and costume hoarding problem. So I figured the best way to get it under control is to start a podcast. On Should I Keep This? I chat with other comedians about their experiences in comedy and our insane prop and costume collections. And on each episode, we both bring a beloved item to discuss whether it's a treasure or just trash. Sometimes it turns out no matter how much money or time we spent on a prop, the only thing we should be holding on to are the memories we've made along the way. So check out Should I Keep This? We have new episodes every two weeks available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey, Fatima. Hi. Hi, Josh. Right, so, How's it going? Good. Uh, so tell me about this sketch. Tell me about Bro Namor. Oh, Where does this God. idea come from? <laughs> so stupid. So the first time I did sketch comedy, I was in university. In first year, I auditioned for this sketch group at the University of Toronto in Ontario, Canada. Um, and it's apparently it's like the longest running collegiate sketch group in North America. I don't know. It's like 150 years old now, something like that. But anyways, it was like a weird cult at my university. And I didn't think I would get in because like everyone in it to me was very cool in first year. Anyways, I auditioned. I got in. And at the beginning, I was like, I don't even know how to write a sketch. Like, (laughs) I am not sure. But I like grew up, you know, making stupid videos with my friends and like every school project, making it into a comedy video um like with oh, wow. handy camera. so so yeah so I kind of drew inspiration from that because I remember we would always do like fake commercials and stuff like that I think it's like a really easy format like parody is a is an accessible format um to go off of so yeah I think at that point like if you look back at like my first sketches that I submitted to the first review which was in 2014 it was like a grandma who rapped this guy whose life got ruined by a walrus and then this bronamel sketch so i don't know they were just i didn't even know where the inspiration came from besides bro culture yeah yeah <laughs> um one of the recurring things is that i am generally jealous of people that had sketch comedy in college yeah that had that opportunity that had that club like yeah be- and, and and but i also say that thinking that 18 year old me wouldn't have done it like you don't think I, so? I, I, I would have been too scared it. to like because I, I never really like considered myself a performer kid like yeah um but it's it's wild to me that you like had this thing so how did this go was this ever performed was it like how did the room react to it uh bronamel did not get chosen okay. <laughs> sketch review my rapping grandma one did oh uh oh <laughs> um but it's too embarrassing um but no uh the room reacted I feel like 
if I can remember, like, I think people laugh. It was always like the most terrifying to like read because we'd always have table reads. We'd got, come twice a week and then we'd read our sketches around the table and like being a first year and there's like, you know, people in their fourth year who I thought were really funny. Like it was, it was really meant a lot when people laughed and gave me a lot of confidence because I think at the beginning I was like, oh, I can't possibly do this. What have I done? How am I in this club? And like, what am I going to do? Yeah. That, that first laugh is so rewarding so reassuring like even when i did like you know a sketch one-on-one class at the theater down here that first time i got a laugh with my piece i was like oh okay i'm not totally wrong in here so that's that's a good yeah. step like like you can do it you don't yeah it's so interesting how yeah it's you're it's so much in a relationship. comedy is always in relationship with the audience so mm-hmm. yeah that's what gives you confidence but also is like the most terrifying thing like the most vulnerable part <laughs> So you mentioned like as a kid, you would, uh, you know, make little videos and stuff on your handicam. Like, so were you all like, were you always interested in doing comedy? Like, was that just your main like hobby as a kid? I I came up like watching um, like Canadian sketch. Oh, and um, oh, what's this show with Colin Mockery? I can't re- like, who's um, the, yeah, who's lying? on like clips on YouTube, like mm-hmm. in middle school and things like that. Like, I feel like my friends and I, we were not popular, like at all. We were like huge <laughs> losers, like <laughs> losers. Um, and would just do the stupidest shit. And like these videos we made, the class would have to sit through them and no one would laugh except for us. Um, but yeah, I feel like I was always, I think even as a little kid, like loved telling stories and just that's the way that my friends and I like played together was like through making stupid videos and then when we found out we could get grades from that we we're like yes we will do that instead of writing a paper <laughs> yeah I'm always like because you're not the first person that say that, that like you know you would be able to make videos to hand in versus writing papers like how do you negotiate that like <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of think we were good students like we were all nerds and so the teachers like we were already doing well. So I feel like they were willing to take a risk on us and be like, okay, yes, you can. Yes. Okay. You could do it. Like, I think we just always asked. We're like, literally our hands would shoot up and be like, can we make a video though? <laughs> like, and then everyone else is like, oh my God, not again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's so, so wild to me. Uh, okay. So you can start touching on it, but like, what were you, what else were you into like comedy wise as a kid? Like you mentioned who's line, but like, what else were you watching? What other things made you laugh? Definitely like Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph on SNL, like were my favorite favorites. I, I watched, yeah, a lot of SNL. Like for a while, that was like my dream, more so in like university. I thought I was like, that's my dream. Not so much anymore. But um, yeah, Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph were like my idols and uh, I loved watching them. I'm trying to think what else comedy wise. Mm. Yeah, Who's Line. Yeah, mostly like just SNL of like the early 2000s. I feel like even Andy Samberg, like Lonely Island, kind of like that brand of humor was what I consumed a lot of like growing up. Yeah. And then, um, I mean, especially with that era of SNL, because of the advent of YouTube and everything starting, like you didn't have to stay up late on a Saturday night anymore because all that stuff would be on the internet the next morning. Yeah, exactly. Oh, 
I just had a memory unlock. Do you remember funnyjunk.com? Did you ever like access that website before YouTube? Maybe. I think my friends and I were more <laughs> e-bombed world people. Okay, okay. Um, Amazing. I think like, yeah, because I, I really didn't have like high speed internet at home. So all yeah, this I mean, stuff was at work. I, I mean, I'm okay, at, at, work. At, now at work at school. Like, yeah. So we were like constantly like trying really quick <laughs> to get something in and that's so funny whatever funny memes were showing up at that point in you know the early 2000s for me amazing yeah we had i loved i you know i think it's so great we grew up with dial up and you know (laughs) i think it's great for us (laughs) yeah if the whole like comedy video thing online was a thing when i was a teenager i nothing would have gotten done And you would have rose to fame at an early age. You would have been, you know, haggard by now, look 10 years older than you are. Uh, yeah, like <laughs> no schoolwork. I would have failed all my classes. It, it would have been like, I guess I don't even understand how like teenagers now do it. Like, I think they burn out. Like, like that's the thing with TikTok. It's like the, it's such a, it's so amazing to have that access and that platform, but it's so fast and the turnover is so fast and the demand is so, like there's so much demand and hunger for media that I worry about people like I'm like I just can't even touch it because I'm like I don't I want this to be fun and I don't want to have that pressure you know like oh you know I, I, and I'm not even talking about being a creator I'm talking about just watching like, oh. <laughs> like I mean my nephew now is like re-going going through the office again I'm just like stop it you've already like <laughs> watch something else <laughs> do your How homework old is your nephew <laughs> uh he's 14 or 15 15 yeah 15 how does that generation feel about the office? I'm always so curious because oh, I he heard loves it. He loves it. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Good. And, uh, yeah, because <laughs> isn't there that the, wasn't there a debate like how the office already wouldn't be isn't like PC anymore? Like yeah, like a lot of Gen Z, I've heard like a lot of critique, which obviously is valid, but like it's also a satire. Like you know what I mean? Like they're yeah. so self aware of what they're doing when it comes to race and gender in this space. Like. For me, it's like such smart writing um, and it's all intentional, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I wonder if this next generation, you know, the Gen Z or, you know, whatever the next one's going to be called, that they understand that not everyone on television has to be admirable or like even the good characters can be villainous every once in a while. Like, because yeah. I know there's like think pieces about like how Jim is the true villain of the oh office my God. because he you know <laughs> does such awful things at points like I, I, i'm a little worried that like the new generation sees everything so black and white mm. like so a or b mm-hmm. both you know both different you know polar differences of everything that those like yeah, gray areas or of badness or villainy yeah, like, or whatever you want to call it yeah, yeah complicated human characters like i think what's so special about the office and why we keep coming back to it. Like, I mean, I, it will, it's the, like one of the only shows that makes me laugh out loud, even if I've seen it before mm. that it's just like, but I think these complicated characters and we see all the different colors and all the different shades of like humanity, you know, of like how someone could be at their worst and how they could be at their best and all their contradictions. Like that's so beautiful. I don't know. I think it's, and I think there's a lot of shows doing it now. Like, I don't know if you watch Pen15. Oh, have you seen it? I haven't watched it yet. No. Oh my God, you have to watch it, Josh. It's so good. 
it's so good. And I feel like it also is like that type of humor that explores like the depth of humanity and like this really silly premise. And yeah, that's my favorite kind of comedy. Yeah. And and comedy is so good to to do that. Like yeah. it's such a great way. It's it, like it's such an interesting way of seeing, you know, how life really is versus I mean, I I rail against all the time, but like traumatic TV today where it's like the procedurals and the office like the police dramas and the hospital things like <laughs> art it's I don't <laughs> ugh, I hate it so much. Uh you kind of mentioned it before and I ask everybody so I just want to double check. Uh would Kristen Wig and my, my Rudolph be your favorite SNL cast members or has anyone overtaken them since? Oh you know, I honestly haven't really been watching the new SNL in the past few years, so I can't, I can't speak to that because I feel like there's a point where it got made me really sad for a while, and then why it got better? Well, just because it wasn't as, you know, I felt like it was not as funny as it used to be. So you had a bit <laughs> of that like, age out period so where yeah. it wasn't for you yeah. anymore. Okay. And then I also like just hearing about the behind the scenes and like what it's like to work on that show made me really sad of just like it just seemed very stressful. And like I was like, are these people okay? Like I don't know <laughs> how I feel about this. Um but I think like the new stuff that's coming in, I've heard really good things. So I should really, you know, try again. Um yeah I think yeah. I think my going opinion is, and I, I'm, I've, I have been watching, but I'm a few weeks behind of the current season. But like, there's always going to be something good. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, it might not all be great because even back in the day, it wasn't all great. But there's always yeah. going to be something funny, something good, something truthful, something real. Yeah, that you know hits the right moment. Um, so it's you know still totally worthwhile. But I totally understand like. And yeah, that process of how they put together the show, it does seem Jeez, incredibly stressful. I don't know. Um, I'm just like, are you okay? <laughs> do you know, like, so as you go into, you know, college, you know, go to University of Toronto, do you know that that sketch comedy club is a thing? I never knew. Like, I didn't even know because I ended up taking theater at my university, but I didn't even know really that there was a theater program until I got there. Yeah. Um, because you had to audition in your first year and it was like kind of a mix between academic and practical. So you had studio classes and then you had all your other classes. So I didn't know really anything. I think I applied for English. I'm pretty sure. But because the so at University of Toronto, there's like colleges, like there's like mm. different. I don't know. Houses like Harry Potter. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was Victoria College. I think that. I'm like, who would they be if they're Harry Potter? Victoria College would probably be Ravenclaw, maybe. Anyways, but my college, Victoria College, is so that's where you have your residence. So the and that's where the Bob originated. It was like in the Victoria College, and it's named after this um, custodian who used to work there. Hmm. That always made people laugh or something. I I don't know the exact story, but the only reason I knew about it was because I lived at that college. And saw the posters. That was the only reason. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't even like it was purely stumble upon. Like, yeah, like that, yeah. that's it's a lot because I think I had the same thing where I mean I didn't necessarily, you know, I dropped out of college, but like I didn't know that my the school I had chosen 
had started a film program. Like oh. I was just going to go for communications and stuff, but like I get there and there's like film 101 and like hit like Amazing. all these other like films. I was like, all right, so I'm pivoting this way now. Like, yeah, it's so funny how that happened. I feel like that happens to so many people. It's so overwhelming at the beginning and you don't know until you get there, like all the little details. Yeah. So how do you decide? Like, yeah, let's join up. Let's try to audition for your university it, sketch team. Oh, it was my friend and me. <laughs> so in first year, my friend and me who became my friend, who now is my enemy. Oh. We have had a roller coaster <laughs> of a relationship. <laughs> but my friend and me from Frosh Meets. I don't know. You know when you meet those people and you feel like you're in competition in like one second and you're like, how is this happening to me? Like, why? I don't understand. Yeah. Um, anyways, this friend of me um was like oh are you auditioning for the bob and i was like oh yeah of course because you're my friend of me and i have to beat you (laughs) (laughs) i'm pretty sure that's like i saw the poster and then they said that and i was like okay now i have to audition and we both got in and then we became real friends um for then so yeah so i think it was it was the oh i have to prove myself to this person even though (laughs) Yeah. But you were, but you were now studying theater. Um, at-, at that point, I don't think I had auditioned yet okay. for the theater program. So I think I was doing English classes, like maybe some psychology. I think it was like a general year, and then the next year I would have gone into, or maybe the next semester I would have gone into performance. Can't really remember. So I should ask, like, I mean, you were making videos and stuff as a kid, but were you also like a theater kid as well? My school never had theater. That's why like, when you say you're, you know, you're like, oh, you feel like you missed out in university. For me, it was like in elementary school and high school because I I grew up like outside of the city. So we didn't have any re- like resources. They did a play like every four years, I think. Oh, wow. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> at my high school. And I think the year that I was that they were going to do the play, the teacher didn't want to volunteer anymore. or Something happened. There were budget cuts or whatever. But we never got to do a play in, in high school. In like elementary school, I don't think we even had drama or anything. Like my schools were not good or funded well. I think <laughs> they were just pretty rough. So I never got the chance to like explore that in school as a kid or see that as like a, you know, something to study. Like I never, yeah, saw got that opportunity like when I was younger. I mean, and if it if it helps, I don't think I had any like drama classes in high school available yeah, to us. I think new, right? I think we were all just anything that happened was all extracurricular and like yeah, you had to stay after to be in Greece your junior year, <laughs> like amazing. Um, which yeah. I did not do because I definitely wouldn't have had the confidence or. Uh, or who would I you even, play? I don't even think that early I would have had the desire to do it. Like right, I think I would have been more of a sports kid. Yeah, like as my hobby even though i loved comedy and love now i love musicals like i definitely i don't think i can who would sing you play which in is, greece who would you who, play in greece who would yeah. i play yeah who would you play oh i would have to be eugene like i feel <laughs> um, yes i can see it okay first <laughs> off i can say that you can't no <laughs> <laughs> you'd be amazing you both I, I would always be happy to do like those off. like little side characters um I, I mentioned with someone else that like one of the newer shows is uh that I love is uh Putnam County Spelling Bee. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. But there so the I would want to be the administrator of the spelling bee. I wouldn't want to be any of the kids that are in it because he doesn't sing, he doesn't do anything, he just tells jokes 
and Amazing. reads from a card. And I was like, I can handle that. Amazing. I feel like you'd be great in musicals. Like, I feel like you have such, like, you're so, like, I don't know. I just, like, trust you. And, like, when I look at you, I'm like, he's a great guy. Like, <laughs> I think you'd be very charming on stage, like, in that way. Maybe. We'll see. Maybe one, one of these days I'll have, like. Sketch musical. Yeah. Uh, like a midlife crisis and <laughs> go for it. Or, whatever change of behavior I have. Or maybe I'll just yeah. do sketch comedy. All right. So, you're, do you spend all four years at university in the Bob? Uh, yes. All four years. Yeah. How does it go for like, so, all right. Tell, tell me about, cause you've mentioned twice a week reading things. How often are you performing? How often are there shows? How often are there reviews? So like, like, yeah, when I went, the structure was like the same every year. So it was, we, you audition at the beginning of the year and then your show is in November, like end of okay. November. So we have like that period to like write the show, rehearse the show, put up the show. And it's like only one review per year. Like we just all happens front loaded, like in the first semester. So hmm. there was like directors every year that kind of got like nominated or whatever the year before. So they're usually like the oldest students. Yeah. Um, and then we start off like writing together and yeah, we meet twice a week. There was this like Bob retreat that we would go to where we would like leave the city and go to someone's house or like a farm or something and like, you know, all get drunk and write sketches and try to <laughs> and become better friends. Um, that was always really fun. And then, yeah, we would put up the show for I think only two nights or three nights in November. Wow, that feels like a lot of work for not a, a lot of like yeah. performance. Oh, yeah. You can email them, tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> and you only did it in the fall like there wasn't like a spring review either no they always joked every year being like spring bob spring bob but it never happened i don't know if it happens now but it didn't happen when i went to it's school wild yeah. i would i would have assumed that you would have done a fall and a spring one like so you spend like the fall semester with bob but there's really nothing to do with it in the spring no but at that time i think like everyone <laughs> had too much drama like there was too much drama like you know so you you need to yeah, decompress for a few you need yeah, to okay. decompress. i mean there's been too many um that's probably true that's probably fair <laughs> were you pursuing any other comedy endeavors other than the bob while you were at school at school um i auditioned for theater like i did a bit of like university theater when i was at u of t but i mean it wasn't good but i did it <laughs> so um and then i think i started doing classes at second city in toronto okay at university when oh when I so was you there. yeah oh so okay so oh, you when I did started improv. yeah too, improv as well so you started with second city doing classes that yeah. young okay um what motivates you to do that i always like i feel like maybe i like oh okay mm, i think i went to a drama camp and we did improv and i was like this is fun and then my university also had an improv team. So I auditioned for that. I don't know what order it happened in, but, and then I started taking classes maybe before or after, but I think I always like wanted to do Second City stuff. Cause I, you know, like watched SCTV and like Best in Show, all those movies. And was like, oh my God, I want to go to Second City. Like the dream, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, it must be, you know, for a comedy fan, um, it must be really different to grow up in a city or, you know, near a city that has 
one of those like big comedy institutions yeah like i mean because historically i think of the groundlings Mm -hmm. and second city Mm -hmm. and then more recently you know ucb and ios grew in the 80s and 90s but growing up like you know all my comedy nerddom like reading books about saturday live or reading books about comedians almost everything pointed back to second city yeah which is interesting yeah i mean i think it I mean, oh my God, am I going to slander them on your podcast? <laughs> like, I'm like, I think there was like a, a golden era of Second City. Now I think it's just like a capitalist machine that is trying to take your money. Yeah. And that's so sad. We, and they uh, like exploit artists, but whatever. That, that <laughs> At is, least it, in Toronto, they it, do. It's a very uh, recurring feature of this podcast about oh. the cults of mm-hmm. comedy education. And mm-hmm. like, so don't worry about slander. Okay, okay. Don't you're come you're not the city. first to say it. You're I not have no money. <laughs> um, but yeah, like at the same time, like there's a huge, you know, that idea of the SCTV cast, like that original SNL cast were half Second City people. Like at a point, it felt like if you wanted to do anything, you had to go to them and start yeah. there and, and go through it. So when you did it, did you do the entire program? Like, I did like level A through E or D, I forget, A through E, which was like the beginner improv levels. And then you could audition for the conservatory. I did not audition for the conservatory. Um, But that was like at a time where also I kind of took a step, big step back from comedy um, for a while as well. So, yeah. But it was like mostly like lawyers and doctors in my classes and like businessmen, which was very funny. They're like it, going for like, yeah, for public speaking. Yeah. It's, it's always interesting to see those classes of like people that want to do comedy things versus, Oh, this will help with my customer service yeah. skills at work. Like, yeah, it's, it's so odd to me sometimes. And that, I, there's a kind of like, I wish that like you could, diverge those two classes Mm -hmm. maybe of like improv for business people or (laughs) improv because i want to do this for a career like (laughs) yeah um, also you might not get the same experience if you do it that way so well i think the cringe is like so good the cringe is like so good in those levels like the very beginner improv like it's like michael scott doing improv like in the episode with the gun like it's like that like it's It's, not good (laughs) it might be worthwhile to know what not to do or what doesn't work from you know michael scott thinking a gun's the best idea for everything like (laughs) so funny yeah because i remember that like when i did my first sketch of 101 class like it was half people that wanted to do things Right. And and do and then half older people that were the funny people at work. And the like I just remember their sketches, it was either all puns. Oh my god. All all characters with weird names because that was the only humor he had. All, <laughs> oh my god. And then we had the a vaguely racist old woman. Oh like, no. <laughs> like oh no. things and, and the instructor who's become a friend of mine was like, yeah this might not be the best way to go with this. How can we not do that? Not do that, please. <laughs> so I think, it, I think, and I think it was, I, I can't remember that. Cause in the class you had to rewrite something. I can't remember if her first draft was racist and her second draft was ableist 
or oh vice god. versa. Oh <laughs> like, my god, no. Oh no. Either way, like it was it was racist then ableist or ableist then racist. That's horrible. And she didn't see <laughs> she didn't see the difference. Um, oh god. I mean, I, I maybe you can't teach old dogs new tricks. Maybe I don't know. I hope you can. I think that you just have to be more maybe direct to be like, girl. <laughs> and uh, and I think that might be the thing because the dude who taught my one-on-one is like the nicest guy possible. Yeah, so so he was probably. he was trying to be as diplomatic and as nurturing as possible. Mm-hmm. Where I think if the dude that taught the 201 had it, oh my he would have just like sliced and <laughs> like three strikes you're out. Right. Um, <laughs> okay, so with your second city time, was that all concurrent with college or I think so. Okay. Yeah, I think so. But then you mentioned you took a little break. Like, so what was your next step to get back into it? Yeah. So, you know, I'm sure this is similar in a lot of cities, but the comedy community can be super toxic, right? It's like this competitive, you know, run by, you know, people who have a lot of power and like, you know, white men. And then (laughs) as like a woman of color, you're like, oh, (laughs) um, and yeah, and 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 not even just that, but like people who have an evil spirit, I feel like, or like are abusers, you know, like are in the scene, like and the funniest people, like running this shit, you know, and it's really scary. And I think, it, yeah. So, anyways, so I took a big step back, um, and then what got me back into improv actually was I had a really good friend, Gordon, who he kind of had the same feelings in improv. I think this the community wasn't like this supportive place he needed it to be and he started a clown theater in toronto oh. called sweet action theater uh, so he's really inspired by like clown stuff coming out of la and like idiot work coming out of la and i think he went on a trip there and was like oh my god this changed changed me and hmm. he um started this theater sweet action theater that's like a clown kind of alternative comedy physical theater spot and I started going to this drop-in that was every Tuesday. It was like, pay what you can. It was like this group of weirdos that were all so kind. And like clown, I think was what I was always looking for um, okay. in the comedy community just because, yeah, I just had found like things started to get really competitive in improv and in sketch and people were super cliquey. And like, it just was like, aren't, isn't this supposed to be fun? Like what is happening? You know? And if you weren't, if you weren't a name or you weren't anybody like people didn't give a shit about you, you know, and people who were, it was just very much like whoever was, whoever could pull you up. And it's like, what are you competing for? Like, you're not going to get paid in Canada. Like, are you, are you literally crazy? Like, just be nice to each other. <laughs> anyway. Just, yeah. At this uh, level, just be nice to each other. Yeah. Like, <laughs> So the, at the clown spot at, at Sweet Action, it was like clown. I don't know. Have you ever done clown? I have not. No. Okay. I, I mean, I don't even know how to, because when I talk about it, people think I'm crazy, but I don't know how to talk about it in a way that makes sense. To like well, I mean, people. I think for one, because most, when you say clown, most people will immediately go to circus clown. Yeah. Which Whereas, it's not. Yeah. This is kind of like, if I could kind of try to um, explain it, I guess it's like, it's really important, like your relationship to the audience. So you're always listening to them. And like you come on stage, you don't have a nose or anything most of the time. And you just come on stage, you try something. If the audience laughs, you keep trying to ride that. Mm. And if you do something and it flops, you have to like share that 
experience of like shame and embarrassment with the audience, which ends up being a really funny moment. So it's like you give an offer and it can be something so stupid. It doesn't matter what it is, but most, the most important thing is play and listening to the audience. And it's so vulnerable. Like literally I, people do it and they like cry or like, they like, you know, it's, or they have this big mask that they wear that they're used to using in like comedy that, you know, keeps them safe and protects them. And they know is going to be funny, but in clown, you're really looking for that vulnerability and like your authentic self and what makes you funny, like you specifically, and just being open and sharing that with the audience, your sense of play. And so because it's so vulnerable and so stupid and so embarrassing, <laughs> it's really hard to be mean. Like you get, yeah. everyone is so supportive and kind because they know how hard it is and how embarrassing it is and how stupid it is. And like the more support you have, the more you're going to thrive. And that was the first time, like after I took my break that I had felt safe on stage in so long. Mm. And it was just, it was so empowering and like, also, I wasn't good at it, but it was just so much fun. Yeah. Um, and it was easier to take the flops like than it was because flop was part of the game. Whereas I didn't have the confidence to, for flop to be part of my thing when I was doing comedy, like in a room full of people who were already hated me, like, you know, <laughs> already were like, prove it to me, you know? Yeah, it's very much a different, I, I imagine it's a very different feeling to fail in that setting versus failing in a sketch yeah. show like still there's like a line you know still there's a line of like why are you trying this thing and why do you think it's funny yeah and I think a lot like I think now it's I don't know I think people kind of get that a lot better than they did yeah. even just like a, even just like five years ago you know so but I think what's different for me is like when you're performing in a comedy club you're usually the rest of your audience is other comedians and when you're in a limited pool, like with limited resources, like in Canada, you're all in competition with each other. There's a scarcity mindset, like you're competing for unpaid gigs. Like it's just with the hope of being like discovered or whatever, you know? And so it builds this scarcity mindset and it's tricky to find support and allyship in that zone. And so then the audience like automatically is judging you because they're fellow performers who want what you have or whatever, yeah. or they say okay well my set's going to be better or whatever it is whereas in clown like you have so much empathy because someone is like bearing their soul to you like you're like oh I can feel their pain when they're like failing like I can feel it and like if they share it with me and acknowledge it then it's funny and we can have that relief and laugh together it's kind of like in stand-up when someone like comments on their joke that didn't succeed like yeah. I feel like calling it out all kind of puts the audience back on your side um but like sometimes there's not as many opportunities to do that in sketch because it is a structured format. You know, it's like it either succeeds or it doesn't, yeah. you know, unless you have someone who's going to improvise and who, yeah, who can call out that last <laughs> joke. The yeah. um, <laughs> Tiptoe the gap between starting doing clown work and what you're currently doing with Don Valley girls. Okay. Yeah. So transitioning from clown to Don Valley girls. So we kind of started out like, so 2019, I had taken a big break from comedy, kind of was just getting back into it with clown, like really taking it easy um, and kind of finding my voice again. Because, yeah, I had just so many experiences of like, yeah, being tokenized or being not listened to or, you know, seeing these injustices happen. And I was like, no. Anyways, but then my friend, Rebia, they 
had also had these experiences in the comedy community and they were like a big support to me when I took my break and like had this kind of specific incident that happened like they were a huge support and like really on my side and echoed a lot of the kind of feelings I was having um in the scene and because they had done like Rubia had done so many like everything like they had done you know Second City Conservatory like um anything Toronto had like they had done and they still weren't happy you know they were like the sticks um and so they put together a group of people that we all kind of like sort of tangentially knew each other but none of us had worked together before mm -hmm. but it was like a group of um like women and non-binary binary people of color kind of who were making good work and like we all were secret fan, like not secret fans, but like we were all like fans of each other in the dark, you know, like being like, really, I love you, you know. Um, but Rubia was the one to bring us all together. And so we applied for like a, a, a grant through Sketchfest, actually. And that's how mm. we, that was before we'd even worked together. We like applied for this grant. We didn't know each other. And then, and the group looked a little bit different then too. So we had come together. We had this money. We we're going to do a show. It got canceled because of the pandemic. And we came back together, I think about a year later, and the group looked a little bit different. And we had our old show that we were going to mount. And we, it was like after, you know, um, everything happened with George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and, you know, all of this kind of rupture uh, that we saw during COVID of like people actually noticing or waking up, like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Um, so our, we were like, oh, we have so much to say that wasn't in that show before. Like we have all been changed by this time. And now what we wanna write about is totally different. So then we started to prep a new sketch show and we got into this festival called the Riser Festival um, through Why Not Theater in Toronto. It's like a feminist um, theater festival. Okay. And it was our first time programming sketch comedy. So. Uh, we had like an hour and a half sketch review, which was so long. <laughs> but so long. So long. <laughs> Too long. Um, but yeah, so that was our first time like performing together was, I think we had like a, a show with Sketchfest that was like best of from the show that got canceled. And it was like, we did a couple sketches together and then we did this big review. We went on to Fringe, we went on to Queer Pride um, and now we're on to Sketchfest 2023. And and yeah, it's been like a very wild ride, but I think I'm really glad we had that break and everything and had that time to pause. And even like for me, like so much was happening in the change of like people in the West talking about Palestine, like I'm half Palestinian and I never felt the courage to like bring that into my comedy really before um, until like, you know, things were happening in Shahrah in East Jerusalem, this neighborhood. Um, all these uh, forced evictions and people being their land being taken from them. And I wanted to write about it. I was like, I'm not going to be part of the sketch group if I can't write about Palestine. So, you know, it, it became a lot of a very uh, politically charged show just because of our embodied politics and who we were coming into the room. And mm -hmm. we had to have a lot of difficult discussions about how are we going to do this and, and bring this to an audience and bring them into the conversation and share that with them. And I think like the result was, like from our review, it's like so many people were like, oh, I've never seen myself in comedy. And I, I saw myself on stage and it was like, I'm going to cry. But it was just like very special. Like to, I was like, I've never thought I could be a part of something like that. So yeah. 
Yeah. I, I do think that's a, a very common thing because I have talked to a number of all female slash non-binary and all ethnic yeah people like groups you know people from those groups where they're like yeah I've never seen myself on stage so yeah I've never had that issue as a white male and like so the rise of the all women all you know all women non-binary or all ethnic kind of has to be done instead of having a troop that might not because I, I mean I talked to a team from Newfoundland and they basically oh, started cool. because they felt like they were getting railroaded by yeah. the the guys in the team who didn't have that same experience that they did like mm. where they had a sketch about a women's bathroom <laughs> and they had to be like this will be funny people Trust will me. understand this <laughs> just because you've never had this trust us yeah so that's and then they splintered off and created their own work and have been doing great and yeah. everything in newfoundland and are eventually you know are going to be in toronto next week but like what's their name the sketch group I want to uh they are mom's girls mom's girls cool like, yeah the thing is it's like and it's about it just so it's so sad like that that that's such a common experience you know as someone who's like marginalized in some way that like your voice isn't heard even with your peers, right? Uh, who have more power than you. And I think, I hope we can get to a place where, yes, we have like, like at this point, it's like, we need to just be together and like, be like, yes, we're going to listen to each other, duh, because we know how it feels. But I hope there can be a point where we all can learn to listen to each other. And I think there are those examples out there too. Um, but just being like, oh, well, why can't there be all women of color in a sketch troupe? Like, oh, why can't that happen? You know. And I think people are so used to like, well, you have one person or you have one woman or, you know, and it's like, well, why? So I, I think normalizing, you know, that specificity, um, it just speaks to so many people and means a lot to so many people. And yeah, I just hope we can all be better. And there's still like, you know, struggles in any team and yeah. like power dynamics in any team, but, but it's so important to listen to each other and hear each other and like, trust each other's lived experience even if you're like I don't know that's funny like um yeah just try it out and see I mean you mentioned getting political with your writing um but how would you describe like a Don Valley sketch girls sketch show oh god <laughs> or an audience that has never it, experienced me yet I would describe it as like oscillating between like extremely stupid <laughs> I'm like politically charged like you know it's kind of like chaotic joy and you know indulging in like the most stupid stupid jokes but also turning around and having something that's like very tightly packed and political so I think we give ourselves like the grace also to show all sides of us and like yeah I like in our first it got cut but like my dream was to play Chris Angel <laughs> <laughs> that's like my dream like I'm either like free Palestine or Chris Angel like those are the two holes so um yeah so like in our first sketch show like I was Chris Angel but he had rebranded as like a philanthropist and was using magic to help people so like it's so stupid um so yeah kind of like 
I think like super culturally specific um, and yeah, trying to just shed, give light to experiences that we haven't seen in sketch comedy or stuff that we would want to see on stage and feel celebrated and seen uh, by watching. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, I mean, yeah, it's great to have those different voices because I mean, I'm just writing like fart jokes. So. <laughs> That's a good joke. <laughs> but the thing is, it's like everybody at the end of the day, like I think that when I I'm interested when I watch sketch because I'm like, you know, there's still all white groups and in Toronto that are very, very successful. And you know, it makes me sad because I'm like, you could you do have something to say. Like actually you're human and you do have something to say. Um, I mean, maybe you shouldn't have an all-white sketch group, but like at the end of the day we all have that vulnerability like maybe I'm sure you were bullied in high school if you're in a sketch group now <laughs> you know I think <laughs> it's like we all have something like human to share with each other and like to feel seen and make people feel seen but it's like are we willing to go there to that vulnerable place and like kind of surrender our power a little bit and and be show that side so yeah I think and fart jokes can be great I don't know <laughs> I'm trying to but like basically I'm like we all have stories to tell. It's like just a matter of like, are you listening? Are you, are you making room? And are you being vulnerable yourself? So tell me about uh, Kafif Dam Productions, right? Yeah, right? yeah, Kafif Dam Productions. What you, what's going on there? Oh, well, that's my production company. Um, I'm also a filmmaker. Uh, I write and direct like dramedy. I love cringe. So I think that's kind of like, I always try to play with this line between laughter and tears and like holding these like very uncomfortable moments and audiences are like, do I laugh? I, I'm not sure. Like that's <laughs> my style. Um, so yeah, like right now I have a couple shorts that are like in the festival circuit and um, I'm in development for a feature film, hoping for funding. If you're listening and you have money to give, <laughs> email me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Um, and yeah, especially like bringing, I'm mixed race. So I feel like I, let alone Arab representation in media, like we're, you know, we it's a really exciting moment in American TV right now with Rami and with um, Mo, all these incredible shows that are, that are coming to light that are like centered in the Arabic, like Arab American experience, which is so inspiring. So um, I, yeah, that's, I'm trying to just, you know, continue down the path that these amazing artists are forging and also shed light on like the mixed experience because I feel like it's very alienating and isolating sometimes. So um, yeah, just trying to tell honest stories that hopefully make people feel seen. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I just went to your IMDb page. We're going okay. to talk about uh, <laughs> doing props for Teletubbies. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> Watch the new Teletubbies, by the way. I haven't. I didn't realize there was a new one until like a few weeks ago. So it's on Netflix. It is a fever dream. It is so bizarre. <laughs> um, yeah. I also work in props uh, to make bad money, honey. And um, yeah, I did. So they filmed like, okay, there's the, the Teletubbies. And then there's like, you know, their bellies have the TV screen. So in Toronto, they were shooting the TV in Those the belly. Things. Yeah, those like two minute weird songs. Like they didn't make sense. Like I'm like, what is happening in this show? Every day was an adventure, but they basically had these so the the set was like a it looked like a daycare and there's this like ball pit and all these toys. And they would have new kids come in every day 
like for half a day and they would do a song with different props and different like things they had to do. Um, but like every time the kids would come on set, they would just like their eyes would like lock on the ball pit and they would like run and like jump in the ball pit. And so then most of my job was like just cleaning balls and putting them <laughs> in the ball pit. And like I don't know, there's one song called Purple where they do things that are purple. And this one little child, Jacob, was supposed to eat these purple grapes. And every time every time I looked, like I had to obviously leave the set and I was like, Jacob, don't eat the grapes until they say action. Okay, buddy. He's like, He's like four years old right and away. then like he, and then I, they would like the director would be screaming being like, or not screaming but like raising their voice being like grapes where are the grapes and I would like I would laugh for two seconds and like he would have eaten all the grapes <laughs> before they started rolling so anyways there's just things like that that were very one time we had like a scene where they're planting flowers and instead of dirt we had to use oreo cookie crumbs but because it's like their kids and like if they eat the dirt Okay. That's okay. That's an interesting little life hack for <laughs> yeah. film sets. <laughs> Secret. Um, and except then when one kid was like, "Hey, oh, these are Oreos." These kids say chocolate, <laughs> and I'm like, "No, it doesn't." They're like, hey guys, these kids say chocolate, and then they all start fucking eating. Them. <laughs> yeah. So it was like that. <laughs> and then it also says that you did props for the the recent season of Kids in the Hall. What was yes. that like being? around them yeah on that was, set which is wild because it's so interesting because I got into props like after the pandemic I finally got my foot in the door like um because the union was like had a lot of apprenticeships open up and I was like oh my god the first two show I booked was like iconic Canadian sketch comedy I was yeah. like wow so even if I don't want to do this as my career like I'm excited to learn from see how a sketch show is like put on on tv it was so chaotic like no shade. It was just crazy <laughs> because, you know, it was very interesting to see these guys who have all had different careers and like are coming back to each other and they're all executive producers. So, you know, there's so many ideas and, you know, there's, it was, and so, you know, because there, because of that, things would change like very last minute, like the, that day of would be like, oh, we need this like banana that you open up and it's a telephone and we're like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you know so it was chaotic but I've been watching it on uh, Amazon and it's it's really cool to see see it how it all came to life but definitely sketch comedy is wild filming it's just like because there's so many sets so many props so many caught hair and makeup changes like it's wild yeah like the amount of work that they have to put into to get a five minute sketch on yeah is is, is craziness because they're not doing a studio shoot like yeah. Santa Live is they're they're on location like for almost everything I know which is so wild like it, yeah it was just the crew really pulled it off it was amazing <laughs> and and uh it was fun it was like just a fever dream as well I feel like working on it um are you like how much are you still doing clown then currently um, I've been just like kind of doing some classes here and there and like I feel like it just like going to shows at Sweet Action. Um, yeah, and like trying to take opportunities. Like I again took a little break like for a couple months and did some traveling and some healing. And then because before I was like, I feel like I had put so much pressure on myself after this, you know, we had this summer with Don Valley Girls and then things slowed down and I was putting all this pressure on myself and not having fun on stage anymore. And then yeah. kind of went away, came back and now have been just trying to dip my toes in and 
focus on the fun and the play and I realized too like you can't if you're feeling like shit and you think that going and performing comedy is going to make you feel better like it won't (laughs) you got to love yourself take care of yourself first and then you can come to it and have a nice time or like be resilient to you know the ebbs and flows but um but yeah I still like go and see shows and play and just like practice being embarrassed yeah (laughs) (laughs) what is something in the Canadian pop culture that isn't huge in America but an American should hunt down and find Have you heard of Tall Boys or did you talk to anyone from Tall Boys yet? I haven't talked to anyone from Tall Boys, but I know I know them. Yeah. I know who they it, are. Oh yeah. Is it like popular in America? The the TV I don't I don't think it really gained any ground. Yeah. People should watch that. It's yeah. great. It's great. It's um they're so funny. I really like them. And like, you know, we all kind of came up at the same time. Obviously, they're way more famous than the Don Valley Girls. So we're hoping to follow in their footsteps. Uh, give us a TV show, CBC. But um, no, they're such they're such kind people, and they really have worked hard to get where they are, and they're so funny. And also abroad, um, I think it's on Omni. It's um, a Filipino Canadian perspective um, on sketch comedy, and the writer Izzy was wrote for Twenty Two Minutes. Is Twenty Two Minutes popular there? Like do people know, oh, you should watch twenty two minutes. <laughs> this hour has twenty two minutes. I don't, I don't know if twenty two minutes, like if that <laughs> is legally available anywhere. Oh, like, okay. for us, <laughs> yeah, it's good bootleg, yeah. Because I feel like you know the Daily Show might go up towards you guys, yeah. But your version does not come down to us. Oh yeah, if you can um, seek out this hour has twenty two minutes. Like, um, did you ever watch uh, Strange Brew the movie? I've never seen the movie now. Okay, you should watch that too. <laughs> <laughs> These are all my recommendations. Because <laughs> no, I was always fascinated with like Canadian stuff. Because when I was in high school, we had a couple of different Canadian shows that had come down, like oh, nice. like on our PBS channel. Okay. So I have this weird obsession with the Red Green Show. Oh my god, amazing! Um, amazing. Where I like now that I've found that they're all on YouTube, I <laughs> watch way, way more Red, Red Green than anyone should. Like, I love it. I love um, it. Did you ever get into Trailer Park Boys? A little bit. I haven't watched yeah, the full thing it. yet, but like I've dabbled. Yeah. Um, and then there, there was another show like back in that day called, I think it was called Made in Canada in Canada. Oh. And then it was called okay. The Industry Down Here, where it was uh, Rick Mercer. Okay. Uh, Peter Collegan. Okay. And um, I'm Leah, like, is it? The, the other two main characters were married to each other, and I can't remember. Uh, Leah Penson, Penson or something? Anyway, but it was about, like, a Canadian production company. Oh, my God. And it was really, yeah, Leah Penson. Um, really Machiavellian, where they were just downright evil people. Oh, my God. Trying to screw each other over and everything. It was, like, they did a show that was, like, making fun of, like, the Hercules and Xena shows. Oh, it um, ran for a couple of years and I and I loved it because and that's how I like learned about Rick Mercer and oh wow like I think Peter Collig because I guess Rick Mercer did 22 minutes right like after a while yeah. or but anyway like that that was my introduction to Canadian amazing I have to comedy, watch it I'm excited. other than SCTV and but that's another thing that like, I can't find anywhere legally really? or illegally anymore like I don't oh, know maybe really? there's like Canadian DVDs around but we're gonna have to send you some in the mail. 
<laughs> I don't know if my other the people, my Canadian friends haven't done it yet. I mean, Tom Valley Girls got your back, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've always been fascinated with Canadian comedy. It's like. so weird, right? It's like, and it's so interesting that there has been such like a rich culture of Canadian comedy. Like right now, Don Valley Girls are like prepping to pitch, like for some development funds for like a web series, like a sketch web series. And I just feel like in our application, we really were reflecting on like how exciting the history of Canadian comedy has been, and like that we just want to like follow in those footsteps with a new perspective and really yeah. and because it's just it's so weird and niche and it's such a like it's a small country like it's such a weird place to to make things um it's a it's yeah, such a small population <laughs> yeah. over a giant landmass. yeah <laughs> like yeah and then we just americans we just steal your comedy superstars oh my god like... yeah it's true i mean i don't blame people for moving also have you seen nirvana the band the show no Oh my god, you have to. I feel like you will actually really love it. It is like one Nirvana of the, the band the show. Oh yeah. It's like the best thing ever made in Canada, TV-wise, I would say. It's like a mockumentary style. These two idiot friends. It's so stupid, it's smart, and it's so smart, it's stupid. Like it's just amazing. Um it's hmm. yeah, you have to watch it. It's so good. Uh, and it's all in Toronto, and it's like really, really Toronto. And okay. you, you rarely find that because a lot of Canadian content now are trying to hide that we're Canadian. You know, I we t I talk about this a lot with people yeah. where <laughs> like, you know, ten years ago there was a a trend where American networks were like co-producing with Canadian. So I, I think there's like a cop show where they refuse to ever mention oh what city God. it's in, but it's clearly Toronto, like. <laughs> So it's just like metropolitan police. Oh and my like, god. And that kind of thing. So as we're wrapping up here, I asked the same two questions. Uh and I think we talked about a little bit about them. First off, you know, with your experience of going through a, a college sketch team, second city, clowning, like clowning, improv, everything. You you've done a ton. So what's a piece of advice that you would give to a new sketch writer? Trust yourself. Like trust what you think is funny. Like I swear every time I try to write a sketch, I'm like, or every time when something ends, I'm like, how did I do that? I could never have done that. I can never do it again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I need to change that mindset. But like, I felt like that was a huge block for me um, at the beginning. And it's only because I was like forced to, because I was like, oh, I have a deadline. Shit. Yeah. Um, but I think trust, your, trust yourself and trust that you have something to say and that your sense of humor is like beautiful and specific and funny. And like, don't try to make something you think other people will like try to make something that you would like, you know, and yeah, just trust yourself, trust your, your sense of humor and throw spaghetti at the wall. Just like try things if you can get things on their feet and find community. I think that's the biggest thing is like finding people to play with and that you can support each other and like work through conflict together. Yeah. And just like, like there's so many people making bad stuff. Like you deserve to do it too. Like why is anyone else better than anyone else? It doesn't make yeah. sense. So if that's stopping someone, I'd say cut it out. Go write your sketch. <laughs> doesn't have to be good right away. You know, and nothing is good right away. No, no, it's not. And that that's something that I had to very much learn the hard way. Um, and then finally, I mean, you mentioned doing a big project and then giving yourself some time for self-care healing, whatever we want to talk about it. 
but comedy has been a big part of your life for the last 10 years or so mm-hmm. of your adult life as well like so why comedy why has comedy been a driving force for you well I love to laugh I'm like laughing is the most beautiful human experience <laughs> like it's an immediate connector like if you can laugh with someone like you know even when I'm like struggling with my family like connecting with my family like they're just all of my family is crazy but if we can laugh together or like watch something together and laugh you just automatically feel closer to someone mm-hmm. I think yeah like just that's such a joyous part about being human is that we can we can laugh and to share that with people is such a beautiful thing mm. And I think always like humor, I think with so many people, it's like humor has been my coping mechanism or like something I turn to like, you know, as a way of processing life. Um, And I think, you know, you still have to process things, but it's a great place to put your pain sometimes. Like, you know, always you have to do that, all that work and um, healing, but it's a great way to have control I don't know want to say have control but like to maybe find people who have also experienced that and appreciate finding levity in in all these different experiences we can have as human and I just love to have fun yeah <laughs> I love to have fun yeah I mean comedy's great <laughs> it's so great more people should should see it I know, <laughs> Watch it. I know right and produce it because there's like so little comedy on television so little comedy on in movies anymore like i know and i love like i think everything is funny like anything can be funny like for me it's like finding the funny in the in the yeah in the these painful experiences um like that's like my favorite genre is like when i can be crying and laughing yeah um yeah i think that's where it's at (laughs) (laughs) thanks fatima welcome thanks for having me Fatima and the rest of Don Valley Girls will be performing twice at Toronto Sketchfest. First, as part of the curator program, curated by Candace Scott Moore with Manifest Destiny's Child and the Tita Collective. Friday, March 10th at 8 p.m. at the Theatre Center. Then Friday, March 17th at 6 p.m. with Maple Daddies from Seattle, Washington. Also at the Theatre Center. Tickets for both shows are available at torontosketchfest.com. You can follow Don Valley Girls on Facebook and Instagram at Don Valley Girls Comedy. Follow Kafif Dam Productions at Kafif Dam Productions and Fatima at Fatima Source. I should say, as we wrap up this series highlighting this year's Toronto Sketchfest performers, a massive thank you to Damian Nelson for everything she's done. Helping connect me to some of my guests almost every year I've been doing this. She's become such a friend to me, to the podcast, and to Philly Sketchfest in general. Do yourself a favor and check out partonandpearl.com, especially if you like comedy and or country music. SketchyBater returns to Zoom on Friday, March 24th at 10 p.m. in the East, and then the live SketchyBater returns here in Philadelphia to Tattooed Mom on Sunday, May 7th at 2 p.m. All the details will be at sketchybater.com as soon as I put them up there. My First Sketch is a Philly Sketchfest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com. 
Follow Philly Sketchfest on Instagram at Philly Sketchfest. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like my first sketch on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter, which I really don't use it anymore. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get the podcast. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy.